The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, and here is your top five at five, energized and maybe ready to run Tesla, reporting its highest quarterly profit ever, even as price cuts eat into margins. Some say it could be the end of the stock slide. Big profit for big oil means big returns for loyal shareholders. The giant news from energy giant Chevron in just a moment. Tightening the purse strings at Big Blue, IBM joining the rest of Techland, cutting nearly 4,000 jobs. Plus, just weeks after Twitter, Facebook parent Meta says it is reinstating former President Trump's accounts. And some very good news for Germany and Europe, as Mother Nature may have saved the day on their energy crisis. It is Thursday, January 26th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Thursday morning. All right, let's jump right in and kick off the hour with, as always, a check on U.S. stock futures. And we are seeing a little bit of green on your screen. Well, at least as far as the NASDAQ go, NASDAQ is up about 40 points right now. The Dow futures are indicated down just a touch. So, again, no real clear indication which way the market wants to go. Volume very thin on futures at this hour. Take it with a grain of giant sea salt. But there you go. All right. What about in the bond market? Bond yields, like we've said, I mean, bonds have been boring and they stay boring. Benchmark 10-year yield, exactly where it was six months ago. It is not moving at all. Wish I had something giant and exciting to show you. I do not. Now, the price of oil, it has been moving And it has been moving up. You're seeing Russian exports. They continue to be strong. India, their buying continues to be strong. Chinese demand, it is growing. Chinese jet travel is growing as well. The price of crude oil at $80.69. Brent crude at $86.63. And by the way, speaking of oil and gas, we've got to talk Chevron. Because Chevron making giant headlines after hours. Number one. Chevron authorizing a stock buyback of up to $75 billion. That is one of the biggest ever on record. It is also raising its dividend by $0.09 a share to $1.51 per share. And we are going to find out just how good it's been lately. Chevron earnings are due out tomorrow morning. A $75 billion buyback raising the dividend. That is 36 straight years of a dividend increase for Chevron. That stock is up 2.5%. We'll get more on Chevron and oil and gas, no doubt, all throughout the day here on CNBC. All right, around the world, China still closed for the Lunar New Year celebrations, but the rest of Asia is open for business. And we actually have a headline out of South Korea. Its economy contracting in the fourth quarter for the first time since early 2020. Stocks there on the move. Well, We'll show you, but I guess we're not. All right. Europe's trading day also just getting underway, and they are higher across the board. There we go. A lot of green on the screen in Europe. 
with the French market, the Cacaron 40, up the most at about six-tenths of 1%. All right, enough of that. That is the macro. Let's get right now to Tesla, which, along with Chevron, maybe the single stock story of the day. Because Tesla had record profit and the stock is responding. Silvana Hanau joining us now with the Tesla numbers. Silvana. Brian, good morning to you. Yeah, so shares of Tesla definitely responding, moving higher ahead of the open after fourth quarter results beat estimates on the top and bottom lines. For the quarter, Tesla reported adjusted earnings of $1.19 a share on revenue, $24.3 billion. Now, both up double digits from a year ago and both the highest ever for Tesla. Also bullish for Tesla, CEO Elon Musk on the call last night telling analysts his company may be able to produce as many as 2 million cars this year with demand, at least right now, outstripping supply. Listen to what he has to say. Thus far in January, we've, we've seen the strongest orders year to date than, than ever in our history. Um, we, we currently are seeing orders at well, almost twice the rate of production. So, I mean, that, that, it's hard to say whether that will continue twice the rate of production, but the orders are, are high. And, um, and we've actually raised the model at Y price a little bit in response to that. So uh, we, do not, we, we, we think demand will be good despite probably a contraction in the uh, automo- automotive market as a whole. But it's not all good news for Tesla. Gross automotive, automotive margins came in at just under 26 percent, its lowest level in at least five quarters. Musk also warning that $2 million production number could be closer to $1.8 million due to some, quote, friggin' force majeure thing. That could happen somewhere on Earth. Think pandemic, war, tsunami, etc. Other takeaways from the call and report. Musk thinks a Chinese EV maker will be Tesla's biggest competition in the years ahead. As for the Cybertruck, Musk says look for it to contribute to Tesla's bottom line in a very big way next year, Brian. Wow, some big numbers there. And uh, it's been a rough ride for Tesla stockholders. Maybe a little bit of good news this morning. We shall see. We shall see. We'll keep an eye on it. Sounds good. Yep. Okay. Thanks very much. All right, let's get back down to broader markets, which, despite some recent bumps in the road, continue to have a really solid start to the year. All this as we shift attention to the Fed policy meeting next week. And your next guest reminds you that what we've been talking about a lot lately, that a potential pause in rate hikes does not equal a pivot, meaning maybe the bull case is looking a bit aggressive. Ben Emmons is principal and senior portfolio strategist at New Edge Wealth, and he joins us now. Ben, great to have you back on the program. Always appreciate your views. Are you shocked at the strength of stocks to start the year? Morning, Brian. It's really great to be here. Um, Well, we're seeing a bit of a flip sign from last year because it's the inflation story that I think is driving the gains in stocks. As you highlighted earlier, Europe being able to avoid a recession because gas prices continue to plummet, which means inflation coming down faster. I think that's the story for the stock market this year. If we continue to have a consistent decline in inflation, then we know the monetary policy will not do much anymore from here, maybe one or two hikes. But most of all, the recession may not happen or at least be pushed out in the future. So in that sense... The surprise is more about that the recession isn't happening yet and therefore the stock market is up. So I think we'll continue to stay in this mode. 
But we're not breaking out of the bear market just yet. There's a lot of technical resistance that we're coming up against. Yeah. We like to see stocks going up. We like that. However, if I had to be a bit of a bear, if, you know, it's early, maybe I'm a little bit grumpy, I would say that the stocks that are doing the best are many of the ones that got hit the hardest, sort of lower profit, I hate to say lower quality names, but you know what I mean. Is it going to last? So that's much of a momentum play, Brian, right? It's like with people you know, comparing those stocks and looking at liquidity measures and trying to see like, well, there's somewhat uplift here of, of markets and sentiment. So then, you know, you have the momentous traders come in and they quickly cover their shorts there or they jump into an opportunity to capture 10 to 15 percent gains in stocks like that right out of the gate. And then you can you can question how much of sustainable that really is, because if it is all short term, it's not really about valuation of fundamentals. It's more about these prices, which is, you know, of these stocks were down so much. That's only the upside you really have in, in, in the in returns for that. And so I think we're going to continue to have the very choppy range here. The S&P seems to be struggling at 4,100. Yeah. The Nasdaq is still below the 11,500. I think that's that sort of tug of war between the momentum traders and people are looking at an opportunity to say, no, there's real value here now. And I think, again, as I said, it, it plays out in the inflation picture. I think that's where you really want to step in if it's really changing to the downside inflation. But isn't this it on the S&P 500? I mean, we are at resistance. If you look at a chart for a year or two years, this 4050, 4100 level, somewhere in between, that has been where resistance has been. We have failed almost every time in the last 12 to 18 months. If we can survive this and break through it technically, Ben, do you see this this rally maybe rolling on or... Are we doomed to fail either way in the spring, maybe early summer? Yeah, it's not an easy question to answer because on the one hand, the technicals you are, are dominant and they've been dominant since basically when the Ukraine war broke out. Markets recognized there was a bear market starting and we've been in it ever since. And we try to you know, maneuver out of it and make a lot of arguments about that. Valuations have gotten an awful lot and inflation is maybe coming off and the Fed will stop raising rates and maybe pivoting to easing. But none of these reasons have actually changed the bear market. So we have to respect the technicals. On the other hand, you know, you have a lot of other risks coming out. So energy prices, for example, have started to rise again. Um, commodity prices are up because the China reopening is probably yeah. doing it. So I think you want to be a bit cautious here and respect the technicals that if you do really sustainably break that 4,100 level and it becomes like a support level, I think then you can take a cue from it and saying, okay, the bear market is changing and you can make a, a different call on stocks from here. Yeah, watch those commodity costs. You're right to note it. I mean, uh, my dad texted me yesterday on his <laughs> birthday, by the way, happy birthday, dad, that the gas station near him had just raised prices 30 cents a gallon. He's like, what just happened? Ben Emmons, New Edge Wealth. Ben, always love your stuff. By the way, your notes, a must read. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, Brian. It's great All to right, be here. we are just getting started on this. You're very welcome. All right, we are just getting started on this busy Thursday. And when we come back, more of this morning's big money movers and Big Blue doing something for the first time in more than a decade. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, ahead of its release today, Southwest Airlines facing new probes over its holiday meltdown. And later... Back on Twitter and soon back on Facebook, but with new terms. 
We'll tell you about Trump's social media comeback. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back. Time now for some big money movers on this Thursday. First up, yeah, that stock, IBM, posting its biggest annual sales increase since 2011. Full-year revenue coming in nearly $3 billion, more compared to a year ago. Despite that, IBM sadly also announcing layoffs, impacting workers and families of some 3,900 employees. Next up is Levi Strauss. Shares rising after fourth quarter earnings and revenue came in above expectations. Levi's also issuing upbeat guidance for the rest of the year due to strong demand and a projected improvement in gross margins. Levi's stock is soaring up 6.5% in the aftermarket. And lastly, United Rentals. It is an equipment rental company, as the name might imply, showing off a new dividend and bringing back its stock buyback program. Plans to repurchase $1 billion in stock this year. That news, moving United Rentals higher, despite worse-than-expected earnings for the fourth quarter of the stock, is rising also about 6%. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Maybe some very good news for Europe in their race to keep the lights and the heat on this winter. Former FERC chair Neil Chatterjee will join us to talk that all things American energy. Next. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, there's how your futures are shaping up on this Thursday morning. And again, no real indication. NASDAQ futures, though. They're higher. They're up 58 points of NASDAQ on a tear. So far in 2023, we are back right after this. Uh, welcome back. It is 521 Eastern Time. Good morning. Let's hit another stock that is on the move this morning, on the move higher. And that is Las Vegas Sands. Shares are climbing on the back of fourth quarter numbers, showing gains thanks to a tourism rebound specifically in one of its key Asia markets, Contessa Brewer, 
Joining us now with more on LVS's run, Contessa. Good morning. Good What's morning, going Brian. On? Well, so here's the crazy thing. They missed on the top and bottom lines when they reported earnings yesterday. The results almost don't matter. First question on the call. What's it going to take for you guys to break even in Macau? And the answer, and I'm quoting here, we're way past it. CEO Rob Goldstein says they are already positive and moving toward very positive, that the premium customer is leading this recovery. And then in terms of the volume and the visitation, they said Sands is outperforming the other market. Macau is the world's largest gambling hub, or at least it was before the pandemic. And now in just the last two weeks, coinciding with Lunar New Year, it's seeing a resurgence of visitors since the government lifted the COVID restrictions on travelers coming in from mainland China, uh, from uh, Taiwan and from Hong Kong. The average daily visitor arrivals reached 51,000 per day for the first three days of Lunar New Year. That's a surge of 217 percent over a year ago this time. Macau was averaging just 15,000 visitors last year. So you can see that that it has just done a 180. Then in Singapore, Sands set new records in mass gross gaming revenue and in retail revenue in spite of cost pressures surrounding labor, inflation, et cetera, in part because in Singapore, too, it's the high-value customer who's coming in and spending. By the way, one more mention. When I started covering casinos, every earnings call, Brian, I heard Sheldon Adelson say, yay, dividends, until the pandemic. And, of course, they cut the dividends. It made an appearance yesterday on the call. They're not saying that they are going to reinstitute it. They're not saying when that might happen, but they are saying we are starting to factor in when that might happen. Certainly a glimmer of good news for shareholders. All right. First up, in my next life, I want to come back as Contessa Brewer. You get to go to <laughs> Vegas. Somehow I'm in the deserts of West Texas yeah. covering oil yeah. and gas. All right. That, that's, that, that's said. That's said. Do we have an indication of whether Macau is really, really back? I mean, because Macau, you know, they reopen and they close. They reopen then they close. It feels like this time is different. Well, I think that the fact that they have relaunched the e-visa program where people can file for their visas electronically is a big deal. But one of the headwinds that they're going to have to grapple with here is that, Sand said on its call yesterday, it cannot fully reopen to capacity its properties. It's down thousands of hotel rooms and suites because it doesn't have the labor that it needs to accommodate the crush of visitors. And we heard that uh, from other operators in the market as well. They were sold out for Lunar New Year, but part of that is because they had drawn down on their operating capacity to make sure that they had the people in place to accommodate what the guest expectations were. We always talk about Macau. By the way, how is Vegas doing? I know you're there weekly, Contessa, just hanging out on the weekends. Yeah, I mean, by the way, always hit hit on 17. Yeah, (laughs) how's it doing? No, it's great. And they have a packed calendar this year, and they have sports and entertainment and uh, the convention calendar. They've got ConAgra coming up, and, you know, they just got through CES. So I think that the indications are that we're going to see Las Vegas firing on cylinders. That's especially good news for Caesars and for MGM Resorts, which are the largest operators on the Strip. I think the flights from Newark to Vegas have the highest per capita incidence of A, sweatsuits, and B, people holding either large stuffed animals or pillows of any. But that's just my own personal Takes one take, to know Tessa. one. Takes no one to know to one. Come. 
I may know one. No judgments. Contessa Vegas, baby. Contessa, thank you. Appreciate it, as always. All right, as we head to break here on this Thursday, watching shares of SAP falling this morning, the German software giant says it will cut 3,000 jobs and explore the sale of a remaining stake in a smaller company called Qualtrics. All this is SAP looks to cut costs and refocus on the cloud business. SAP here and overseas down 3%. We're back after this. It is all about earnings and it is all about you, the consumer, with so many big numbers still on deck. Tesla showing off some big time sales. They had record revenue. And Elon Musk says Tesla is firing on all cylinders, so to speak. Thus far in January, we've, we've seen the strongest orders year to date than, than ever in our history. Um, we, we currently are seeing orders at almost twice the rate of production. And just weeks after being reinstated on Elon Musk-owned Twitter, Facebook parent Meta says it is reinstating former President Trump's accounts on this Thursday, January 26th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome, but welcome back, everybody. Just about 5.30, Trump Facebook news going to give political media fodder for the next few days, if not longer. Hi, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. All right. Weather-wise, by the way, it's going to be cloudy with a high of about 46 degrees today. I don't know why I threw that in there. I just thought if I was waking up, I'd, I'd want to know what the day was like. There you go. Cloudy and around 46 in New Jersey and New York. Here's the forecast for stocks. Also a little bit cloudy or, or mixed, I should say. NASDAQ futures, they're a little sunnier. They're higher up 58 points. Dow futures down 22. So kind of a mixed trade. Oil is higher off its cash close. But two bucks lower than a few days ago. Still, oil back above 80 bucks per barrel. It has been for a couple days. So gasoline prices are back on the rise around America. You might want to fill up sooner than later if you're one of the four people that sells a gas-powered car, apparently. Now let's talk trader favorite Tesla. It is popping after beating on both earnings and revenue for the fourth quarter. But this may be an even bigger headline. Tesla's saying it may be able to produce 2 million cars this year. That said, Tesla adding a caveat that average sales prices have been sliding for years and that affordability would be increasingly key going forward. Let's talk more now about this with George Giannarikas. He is analyst at Canaccord Genuity. George, good to have you on. It feels like the Tesla numbers, morning, while not awful, it's kind of like we expected the worst and we got less than the worst. What's your read? Well, that's exactly right. You know, uh, Elon Musk and the management team were there to tell us the sky was not falling. I and mean, people had expected really bad results and even worse guidance. And look, they came out and said they cut prices, which everyone knew a couple of weeks ago in response to demand weakness. And guess what? Orders responded. I mean, like you played the clip earlier. Uh, the orders were the strongest year that they've seen in the company's history. And importantly, what they said was that despite these cuts, gross margins would hang in there. I mean, they're going to be down in 2023, according to guidance. But there were fears out there that they would hit the, the uh, mid-teens and below 20. And the CFO came out and said, we're not going to break 20 percent in auto gross margins, which was a welcomed message. And that means that our earnings for next year really weren't impacted or this year, I should say, really weren't impacted. 
And where we have a lot of confidence is in our out-year number of $11 plus in non-GAAP earnings in 2025. They noted that their order rate was the strongest it's ever been. It is two times production capability. So more people want a Tesla that can get a Tesla. So why have they been cutting prices? Well, if you recall, at the end of last year, the stock acted pretty terribly, to put it mildly. And that was in response to what we believe was were indications of demand weakness. It all started in China. There were several data points that towards the end of the year, uh, demand fell off. And then that weakness crept into the U.S. and into Europe and other parts of the world. So the company had to respond. And as such, they cut prices. And lo and behold, the market responded, consumers responded, and orders picked up dramatically in the month of January. And like I said, the people were really, really worried what profitability would look like. And it's not going to be as bad as people thought. Yeah. No, and, and I don't cover the auto sector, George. I like cars. I don't cover. I don't know the, the margins of Ford or Toyota or GM. Maybe you do. But if I'm looking at a, at a gross margin of 25.9%, that doesn't sound horrible. How, how is Tesla's margin actually sh- stacking up? Well, they have some of the best operating margins in the auto industry. And what's really, really important about this story is that as they cut price, what they're doing is seeding the marketplace with forward upgradable units. So think about it. They make about you know, 25, 30% gross margin, which is about, you know, call 10 to $15,000 per car. But when they sell you a car, there's the option that you'll upgrade that with full self-driving software, which means that they can more than double that gross margin just based on you clicking a button and buying their full self-driving software. So it's really a brilliant move. We call it their razor, razor blade model, right? They're selling you the razors. They cut price to get more razors in the marketplace, but they hope that you buy that razor blade to double their gross margin after you've bought the car. It's, it's a very powerful model they put in place. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, Elon Musk, a polarizing figure, George. I don't know how you put that into your models. Everyone's like, oh, Tesla's dead. <laughs> Apparently, they're not. George Ginarikas, thank you. Have a great day. Appreciate you getting up early. You too. Thanks. All right. Outside of that, let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories, including more fallout for Southwest Airlines. Silvana is back with that. Silvana. Brian, yeah, so Southwest facing more fallout over last month's holiday travel meltdown. The Department of Transportation announcing it is probing whether the airline schedules were realistic during that period. The agency says it is in the early stages of its investigation. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has previously vowed to hold Southwest accountable for the disruptions. Southwest is set to report results before the open, and CEO Bob Jordan will discuss all of this in a first-on CNBC interview at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Meanwhile, Morgan Stanley is reportedly fining some of its own bankers upwards of more than $1 million each. According to the Financial Times, the fines center around employees conducting business on WhatsApp and other non-sanctions messaging platforms. The FT says the size of the fine is based on factors, including the number of messages sent and a banker's seniority. And Toyota facing a C-suite shakeup. The automaker announcing its president and CEO, Akio Toyota, will step down from his position and become the new chairman. The move will take effect on April 1st. 
Toyota is the grandson of the car maker's founder and has served as CEO since 2009, Brian. Savannah now, big announcement there. A lot of car news this morning, yeah. Savannah. Thank you very much. Sure thing. All right, first it was Twitter, now Facebook, allowing former President Trump to return to its platform and Instagram after nearly two years suspension. In announcing the decision, Meta's president of global affairs saying, quote, the public should be able to hear what politicians are saying, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so that they can make informed choices at the ballot box, end quote. Let's talk more about it with American Enterprise Institute fellow Jimmy Pethokoukas, also a CNBC contributor. Oh, to be in political media, Jimmy, if I was, say, the host of a, of a political talk show, this is going to give me fodder for days. What's your take? Yeah, it, it, it combines, combines things they love to talk about, which is uh, social media, Trump's getting content moderation, uh, right, wrong, uh, plus the president. Listen, I don't. It, it, I think certainly in the case of Facebook, is this is not an issue of now Donald Trump can suddenly you know he can get the message out. Uh, Twitter was always more important for that, and he hasn't gone back to Twitter yet. But really, for the uh, for the former president, it's a matter of raising money. It's just going to make it a lot easier for him to raise money. For all the complaining about you know Facebook having an anti sort of anti Republican, anti conservative bias, it was instrumental. Uh, to the, to the former president's political performance, raising money. For, so for that, even though this, some Democrats are going to howl, uh, but it's really a fundraising story for Trump. It does seem like quite the about... We, we understand Twitter, new ownership, private company now, different group, that's fine. Facebook, as far as I know, Jimmy, Mark Zuckerberg is still in charge. I mean, he was the yeah. same guy that was in charge when they suspended Trump. What has changed? Well, I, th- I think one thing has changed is we've just gotten some distance uh, from January 6th. Second, listen, I, I don't think it was ever tenable that if Trump was going to make another presidential run, uh, and, you know, might, you know, you could say he's favored to become the, 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 the GOP nominee, that they were going to be able to, just to keep him off you know, the largest social media platform. I just don't think that was a viable position. And you can already see that even though there, you have Democratic politicians and some pundits complaining, you know, there's, you know, like the ACLU says, you know, says this was a, a move toward free speech. So I, I just don't think they could have done it. And they've they've changed the system. They haven't they've had time to create these these guardrails and new plans and they want to amplify certain posts. And I think that's key. Because even if yeah. there's a lot of subjectivity, and there will be, and a lot of judgment, there needs to be some sort of framework that people are aware of. So it doesn't look like Zuckerberg just said, he's gone, he's back. That it looks we, like there's a process. How does Facebook and Twitter, if, if Trump comes back, thread the needle? I'll give you an So President Biden, either through his account or the White House accounts, they're tweeting a lot lately. I don't know why, but their Twitter volume is really ramped up. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, the president tweeted out something about electricity prices going down. And I'm thinking, uh, OK, maybe somewhere. I'm not I'm not sure where, but you just, it's OK. It's, it's electioneering. How do, how does Facebook mediate Trump? I mean, isn't that like, if Trump comes out and says something completely crazy, right. v- potentially violent, risky, insane, wrong, 
How do they moderate that? How do they make sure that does not get spread around? Well, listen, they can either adjust the algorithm and prevent amplification or they can suspend them. Now, listen, saying that right now, doing that right now, uh, when, you know, technically he's running, but, you know, the race hasn't heated up at all, is fine. But imagine them having to do that in, if he's the GOP nominee, you know, in October of 2024. Uh, You think, you think like political shows are talking about this issue now? They are going to go insane. And I assume Facebook has had conversations saying we need to be prepared to do that, which is why they've created, you know, different options. Maybe maybe they only suspend them for a day, but they've created different options for them because inevitably, inevitably, unless the president's undergone a personality transplant, that moment will arrive. It's going to arise and then there's going to be more controversy. Why did you maybe not amplify this? Versus yes. that, it's a listen. It's electioneering. It's a sticky slope. I'm seeing it on both sides. Jimmy Bethacoukas, always appreciate your views. Oh, to be a political commentator today, Jimmy. Thank you. you bet. Now it is time for your morning RBI, and today let us dive into what could be very good news for Europe and the global economy, and Germany in particular because they may make it through this winter and maybe even next from an energy perspective. Check out these two charts from Deutsche Bank. First up, German natural gas storage has never been this high toward the end of January. It is basically the orange line at 100%. And you can see it is even higher than last year, the blue line, when much Russian pipeline gas was still flowing. Now, last year, of course, the lower line. That is great news. But As we reported from Europe late last year, the real worry was not about this winter. It was about the coming winter of 2023 to 2024, when Germany and Europe would have to fill up natural gas storage with nearly no Russian gas flowing at all, because most of the pipelines are either shut off or, you know, blown up. And so this may be even better news. Look at this. Deutsche Bank says, based on current supply levels, along with the cut in demand that is happening due to shockingly warm weather, Germany may be able to make it through next year with sufficient natural gas supplies. Now, that would be incredible. And it's largely thanks to what has been incredible weather. What really hurt Europe last summer was brutally hot weather. But warmer weather has now been a savior this winter. Europe has been much warmer than usual, which means that gas demand to heat and whatever has gone down by a lot. People just don't need to crank the heat and the gas to warm their homes as much. In fact, Barclays notes there have been 10% fewer heating days lately than the five-year average. So you can see from that chart, I know it's hard to read, blue lines, which we want to look at. Much still depends, though, on the weather, of course. And if it does get really cold soon or maybe really hot this summer, those storage levels could be still drawn down to risky levels. But right now, Deutsche Bank says what we've seen is good news and it may help Europe avoid recession. Let's hope so, because while I certainly have highlighted the risks many times on this issue from here and from Europe, nobody wants a bad outcome, which is why we talked about the importance of Europe buying all those giant loads of American natural gas. And by the way, getting a giant load of Lady Luck from Mother Nature. A little ironic that the weather saves 
Europe. Now that is random, but interesting and good news. All right, let's talk more now about Europe's energy crisis, as well as what is happening here in the United States. Honored to welcome back in Neil Chatterjee, is former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Commission under President Trump. And he joins us now. Neil, good to have you back on. Uh, it's good news. You know, I was there saying, listen, this could happen if the weather turned lousy. The weather's been fantastic. Do you feel that Europe has, is the all clear being sounded or is there still risk? Look, there's no question it is good news, but they're not out of the woods by any stretch. Look, the Chargers had a 27 nothing lead and got Don't caught talk up about on it. quickly. Um, Europe has benefited from, as you mentioned, good fortune in that they've had an unseasonably warm winter, coupled with the fact that storage levels are high. But a lot of that was due to rationing and, you know, softening demand over the summer. Plus, they filled their storage reserves with Russian gas when Russian gas was still flowing. You add on to the fact that China demand has been down due to the fact that they hadn't fully reopened from COVID. And these were all favorable circumstances. But these circumstances can change in a hurry. No more Russian gas flowing in. And China could reopen, which would really make LNG tight again. I don't know why you got to bring the the pain of my chargers into this, (laughs) Neil. But, uh, yeah, I I hear you. Yeah, and just the other day, I think I I tweeted something about it. I think you retweeted it that the head of Germany is saying they're going to need massive amounts more liquefied natural gas to fill that gap, which I guess is good news for America. But the other other story here is not – maybe it's – I've made too much on storage and not enough on price because you can outbid others for that gas, right? But if you're paying six times what we're paying, you do wonder how long that is sustainable. You look at the UK. Their public debt is now soaring because they're having to subsidize the cost of their energy disaster. But that is why U.S. LNG is so important to this equation. Due to the structure of our contracts, you can redirect shipments, you can uh, resell cargo, and that's really helped not just in terms of supply, but in keeping the price manageable. And as we hopefully ramp up U.S. LNG exports, that is only going to further help both on the supply side and the price side as well. U.S. LNG is so crucial at this time. Let's talk about nuclear, Neil. It's been one of my favorite topics lately. It is, I know that it's not perfect. There are risks. You also have to get uranium, which is highly dangerous and lasts forever. you got to figure out something to do with all the spent rods and uranium when it's over. We are so obsessed with wind and solar, which can be great, right? They don't work all the time, but they they can be great on the secondary side. Why aren't we having more grown-up discussions about nuclear power? I mean, we're still talking more about shutting them down than opening up. What's the actual reason? I, I can't find a logical reason why. Look, I'm old enough to remember in the late aughts when we were talking about the potential for a nuclear renaissance in this country, possibly doubling the number of plants that we have. And we've gone in the opposite direction. We're shuttering plants. 
a lot of factors contributed to that. We had the post-Fukushima disaster in Japan led to enhanced safety requirements. You mentioned wind and solar as wind and solar became more affordable, coupled with inexpensive natural gas. That put a lot of pressure, price pressure on nuclear, which um, strained the industry. Uh, And we sort of started to move away from what is our single greatest form of carbon-free baseload generation. I don't think we're on the precipice necessarily of another nuclear renaissance, but we are seeing a shift. There's been considerable investment made in the nuclear space. There is a recognition of the importance of nuclear power. And just recently, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission approved the first uh, small modular reactor design. This is small nuke. It's scalable. And this could be really exciting and, and lead to that carbon-free nuclear future that we've been talking about for quite some time. The Diablo Canyon power plant in California, the last remaining one, is over 9% of their daily electricity. You wonder, you shut that off. Where are you getting the power, California, especially when it's really hot? I love the small module reactors, Neil. Probably should do a deeper dive into those. Uh, We'll save that for another show. Neil Chatterjee, really appreciate you coming on Worldwide Exchange. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Neil. Absolutely. All right, despite bringing up the Chargers, which, uh, yeah. Folks, I, I lived in San Diego as a kid. San Onofre Nuclear Power Plant. We used to go to the beach there. Anyway, on deck. Delancey Wealth, I, Delancey Wealth is Ivory Johnson reading the tea leaves in this week's earnings and maybe some troubling signs around the consumer. Dow futures up 11, NASDAQ up more, and we're back right after this. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour here in the East. Here we go. IBM posting its biggest annual sales jump in more than a decade. company also announcing it is cutting around 3,900 jobs. Sales up, jobs down. Tesla topping expectations with its fourth quarter numbers. CEO Elon Musk says he is bracing for an economic downturn, though, this year, projecting, quote, a pretty difficult recession. Shares of ServiceNow tumbling despite better-than-expected fourth-quarter earnings. Subscription sales, however, falling short of estimates, but software company projecting a strong year ahead. Levi Strauss jumping after earnings and revenue for the fourth quarter, topping expectations. Company also issuing an upbeat full-year guidance. Levi's stock up more than 6%. Lamb Research announcing it is cutting 7% of their workforce. CEO Tim Archer said he expects the overall chip market to sink by roughly $20 billion from one year ago. And get this, Chevron unveiling a $75 billion stock buyback program, one of the biggest ever on record. It is also raising its dividend by $0.09 a share to $1.51. Chevron stock up just under 3% on that news. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your next guest saying that earnings growth is partly negative because negative real income is putting pressure on profits. And he believes the consumer is now struggling more with higher costs, and he remains defensive even with this recent rally. Ivory Johnson is the founder of Delancey Wealth Management and joins us now. Ivory, good to have you back on. What do you mean by that about real incomes, 
profits and the consumer. How do you view the macro right now? Right. So so incomes might be going up, but they're not keeping pace with the uh, cost of living adjustments. And so that's why you're seeing in the third quarter of last year, 47 million new uh, consumer credit accounts uh, were opened. You're seeing 15 percent decline in retail, 15 billion dollar decline in retail sales. Uh, I saw the figure that 40 percent of Americans are having a difficult time paying their basic household expenses. Uh, and since consumer spending is 70 percent of the economy, that becomes problematic on cor- corporate profits. Uh, and again, this is happening when, you know, wage growth was high. So anytime wage growth is high, it constrains corporate profits and then they start to lay people off. And that's what you're starting to see now. And, I, you know, you're right. And I first off, it's like I know the data on inflation is coming down, but I don't know about you, Ivory. Whenever I look to buy anything, I'm like, that is not right. cheap. Right. That said, I hate the worst part of this job is when I have to go on the air like I just did before you and say sales are at a record high. Oh, and by the way, that same company is laying off a few thousand people. It stinks. Nobody wants anyone to lay people off. But you wonder what message they are sending by, by doing that. Are they predicting a downturn? Well, again, if you look at the employment cost index, it was somewhere around 5%. Uh, so those are at elevated levels. And, and so, you know, wages are, are you know, ex- are the biggest expense a company has. So they're laying people off because it's constricted corporate profits. Um, and, and I don't know that it that it's it's going to you know moderate uh, anytime soon. So so they're, they're laying people off because of what it's done to corporate profits. You're going to see corporate profit earnings growth be negative this quarter. I imagine it'll be negative next quarter as well until we get to the second half of the year. But is it possible this rally that we've seen to start the year is because things maybe aren't as bad as the worst estimates? I mean, I don't. Why? No. Why have we been so strong the last three weeks? Well, uh, so so there's an assumption that you know the, the Fed's going to moderate how often or how much they raise interest rates. Uh, but I, I caution investors to know that during the dot-com crash, we had 10 or 11 rallies where the market went up by more than 10%, right? A couple of times it went up by 20%. NASDAQ ultimately declined by 79%. And so let's be clear, we, we've had a 25-year uh, regime of artificially low interest rates that has been reversed. And so think about, you know, the present value of future cash flow for a company. When interest rates go down, go up, the present value goes down. This applies to internal rate of return, the cap rate. Uh, and I think what hasn't really been discussed as much is the refinance problem that the government's going to have. Let, let's not forget that we've got over $24 trillion in debt held by the public. About $7, $7 trillion of that has to get refinanced in fiscal year 2023. That's March of 2022 to March of 2023. If the government has to pay an additional 175 yeah. basis points, that's $120 billion a year in interest payments for one year. And that's 15% of our defense budget. So we talk about consumer spending being 20% of the GDP. The government spending is about 20%. Uh, so, so we've got some real issues at hand, not yep. just with the consumers and earnings, but also how we're going to keep spending the money that we do. Well said. The debt keeps going up. Payments keep going up. And they're giving us the hook. I got the music as well. Ivory Johnson, Delancey, well, appreciate it. Folks, we'll see you tomorrow here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk is next. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 